Welcome to Grant Seeker Coffee Talks, a podcast for nonprofits to listen and learn from their peers. In this episode, we're talking about prospecting for funding partners. Our presenter today is Barbara Flourish, who is Chief of Training and Curriculum for the Grantsmanship Center. Barbara has over 35 years of experience in nonprofit management, grant proposal writing, grants administration, and nonprofit consulting. She has secured tens of millions of dollars in federal, state, and foundation grants, taught hundreds of seminars and classes, and she's even testified before the United States Congress on the reauthorization of the National Endowment for the Arts. So Barbara definitely knows her stuff. In this episode, you'll hear Barbara talk about what motivates funders to make grants and the things that you can do to find funders that are a good fit. Then we end the episode with a Q&A. There are a lot of really helpful tools and resources mentioned in this episode, and links to all of those tools can be found in the episode notes, including more information about the Grantsmanship Center training and publications. So without further ado, here's Barbara. Let's start out with the why of it. There are two basic kinds of grant makers, private and government. They're they're very different. And within private, I'm sure you're familiar with uh, foundations, private foundations, corporations, and that there are public charities such as United Way and even community foundations are public charities because those groups get their money from lots of places, including the general public, and then use it for charitable purposes. But within all of our communities, there are also associations and clubs like Rotary or Future Farmers of America or groups like that that also make grants. And there are issue-based organizations such as the March of Dimes or the American Cancer Society that make grants. So there's a lot of different nuances to this private funder arena. And then we get over to government. With government, the feds rule, obviously, they have most of the money, but you also get grants from state, county, local. I mean, Los Angeles County, for example, is bigger than the state of Vermont, which I live, and Los Angeles County makes quite a number of grants. So what we're going to do is we're going to begin our discussion with private funders, who they are, why they make grants, and within that, I want to start specifically with foundations. So there are private foundations that get their money from one or two sources or a family wealth. So family foundations are in this group. There are corporate foundations that get their money from the money raised by the parent corporation. Community foundations that are public charities, but we're going to talk about them in the arena of foundations because they operate like a private foundation or corporate foundation. And I'm going to call out this operating foundation. When you're doing your research, if you if you hear a foundation called an operating foundation, they are probably not going to give you a grant award because they do their own work. They don't need you to do their work for them. So at last count, there were over 86,000 foundations in recently in the United States. And recently I saw there were as many as 100,000. And that's a lot of foundations, private, corporate, community foundations, et cetera. But there is this saying that if you know one foundation, you know one foundation because they're all very different. Some have complicated 
application processes. Some want a very short online form to be filled out. Some just want a letter. Some have strict deadlines. Some have no deadlines at all. Some operate very informally in terms of their decision making. Some operate very formally. So it's all over the place. But two important things is most of those 86,000 plus foundations do not have staff members. They may have trustees, uh, board members, but most do not have staff members and most do not have websites. So we have to talk about in research how you get through that bit of a problem. And there's another issue that some of the foundations do not make grants. Um, you can't get you can't send a, in a grant request to them because they do not accept what they call unsolicited proposals. So about 50 percent at last estimate of these grant makers don't accept unsolicited proposals. So we're going to talk about that. There's definitely some workarounds. But it's important to notice that even though these, these foundations are all very different, they're as different as individuals are different, they also have a, a, some very important things in common. And those commonalities are going to be important to you as a grant seeker when you're trying to find a good fit funder. So one issue is foundations are 501c3 nonprofit organizations. That means that they share a lot in common with you and their purposes can range from the arts to, to taking care of stray animals. It can be just about anything. Uh, I, I know one foundation that has focused on Asian art, for example. So it can be anything as long as it meets the religious, education or charitable purposes that the IRS says, OK, that's OK. You can be a 501c3 foundation. So this is private money. So these, these foundations can choose whatever focus they want to choose, and they can even choose to change their focus so long as they stay within the general parameters of the IRS rules. So know that when you do research, it's not good forever because foundations actually do change their focus. Sometimes their priorities change. Another important issue is that because they're nonprofits, their tax returns are public information. And that's gonna become very important to you as we continue this discussion. Like other nonprofits, uh, foundations have a mission. They have something they're trying to accomplish. They have interest and so forth. And so even though some of the foundations are very formal and very strict about what they're trying to achieve, some are less formal because like I said, it, it's all over the place. But it's important for you to know that they are working to achieve something, and that something is not just giving out money, it's to make some sort of change in some issue they care about. Also, because they are a foundation, they make grants because they have to, because the IRS says you must pay out annually a 5% of the value of your net investment assets on eligible expenditures. And as it turns out, eligible expenditures are running the foundation or making grants. So that they have to make grants. I mean, if they don't, they could get hit with a stiff penalty. So that's one of the reasons they do it is because they have to. When it comes to foundations, relationships matter. They're very important 
You're going to hear this over and over throughout this presentation because it is true. And it makes sense. I mean, imagine that you have a lot of money and two people walk up to you and each of them is asking you for money. One person you know very well, you trust them, you, you've known them over the years. The other person you don't know at all. Both people have good arguments and the person you don't know has a very good argument. Who do you are, think you're going to give your money to? You'll give your money to the person you know and trust. And that's certainly true with foundations. Like I said, they're, they're very individual. They need to know that the organizations they fund are trustworthy. So if you can get to know them, that's very important. I call it trust building. There's a lot of trust building with foundations. So while the foundations have to abide by rules, by certain rules to keep the IRS status, they do not have to be objective. There, there is no requirement that they be objective. It's their money. They can do with that money as they see fit, as long as they play within sort of certain lines. They stay within certain lines. Now, other private funders, uh, these, the public charities, clubs, associations, etc., they also use grants to achieve their mission. Relationships are important. Uh, they also try to be a little more objective. I think objectivity is something they strive for. I mean, some foundations also strive for it. They just don't have to, I guess, is, is the point I'm trying to make. So these other funders have a lot in common with foundations. You're going to have a little more trouble researching these other private funders, and I'll talk to you about that when we get there. Then there are government funders. Federal agencies make billions of dollars in grants every year, but then also your state, county, municipal, town governments make grants. Some of the grants from these lower tier governments are from their own taxes or fees, but a lot of the grants made by the lower tier governments are going to be passed through money that comes to them from the federal government. Now, government make government agencies often make grants because they have to, just like the 5% rule with foundations. Say that a legislative body passes a law that includes the development or implementation of a grant program. That program is assigned to a certain agency, government agency, and that agency then uses grant funding, that whole grants process, to achieve certain outcomes that are delineated in the authorizing statute. So a lot of times government has to make grants and also objectivity here is expected. This is public money. This is not private money. And so there is an expectation of objectivity in the grant uh, application process, in the award process, and there's also an expectation of transparency. Government funders also make grants to, to address pressing issues. So certainly there's a lot of pressing issues right now. And so sometimes when they make grants for this special pop-up pressing things that are happening, they may uh, have a new grant program, passed by a law involved with a law that I per that I previously talked about, or they could reallocate some of their existing funding to address some of this sort of pressing community need. 
So the long and the short of it that I really want you to remember, because this is a critical concept in finding good fit funders, is that grants are tools that funders use to accomplish their own mission and to meet their own priorities. Grants are tools. And the grantees, the grant seekers, the, the groups that get these grant awards, the grantees, they are the nonprofits that are the um, organizations that get the work done. So the grant, the tool is handed to the organization, the grantee. And the expectation of the funder is that that grantee is gonna be their boots on the ground to get the work done. So most foundations are not what I define as operating foundations. They will hand the money to you and say, I'm giving you this money because I trust you. I believe you can get the work done. I believe you can deliver what you promise, go for it. So you are, they're looking for partners. They're looking for partners to be their boots on the ground. So now we're gonna turn to how do you find good fit grant makers? How do you actually do that? And there are two primary steps. One is that you identify your funding needs. And the second is you do your research. There's a lot of research to find your good fit funders. Part of that is identifying your own funding needs. You need to look at what your needs are by program or topic area, the amount you need, the sort of time frame, and then you got to prioritize. I cannot tell you how many times people have called me in my career and said, Barbara, do you have just a few minutes to tell me how to get grants? And I say, why do you need grants? And they say, because we need money. And I say, why do you need money? And they say, because we don't have enough of it. We always need money. And I said, how much do you need? And they say, as much as we can get. And I am here to totally turn your head around if that is how you are currently thinking about grants, because that's really not the way it works. you got to identify what you need and prioritize it. Now, if you're a grants person in an organization, um, prioritizing funding needs can become a battleground. It's not unusual for the grants person to become besieged by all the program people who are saying, my, mine, mine, my, mine comes first. And so I get a lot of questions about how am I, as the grant professional, supposed to decide what to do first? How am I supposed to decide what's most important? And the answer is you're not. Because your job as a grants professional is not to set the course of the organization. And prioritizing funding needs is a way that you set the whole course of the organization. And so it's not your job. It, it, it is your job. You're very important to be a part of that process, but not to decide what's what. So how if you have a strategic plan, you're way ahead of the game in turn terms of setting your funding priorities. What you want to look at in prioritizing funding needs is the most pressing community needs. If you have capacity building needs within your organization, say your database is way out of date, your technology is a mess, maybe that's really important towards helping you to achieve your mission. Or you got to look at what's most relevant funding needs for moving that mission forward. And then also, what are, out of all those resource needs, what is most appropriate as a grant request, because not every resource need is an appropriate grant request. So this, this sort of thinking takes a, a, some deep thought, some data, some planning, 
and some knowledge of what is and is not appropriate for grant funding. If you don't have a strategic plan, I really want to encourage you to start moving in that direction. But what you'll have to do if you don't have one is pull together a team. Uh, hopefully your administrator, your board will be involved and so forth, and really hammer out the answers to these questions. What do we need? What's important? What is most going to move our mission forward? And I'm going to take just a minute to talk about what's appropriate for a grant request. So if you're meeting community needs, say there's a tough need such as homelessness, that you've really got to dive in and you got a great new idea and you want to try something out, that's an appropriate grant request for sure, because if it's successful, it's going to have a lot of long-term impact. Others will probably adopt what you're doing. On the other hand, if your salaries at your organization are very low and you want to raise staff salaries, that's probably not a good uh, appropriate grant request, because how would you keep those salaries up after the grant funding is gone? And with establishing new administrative positions, even if you if you can do that, if it's really important in meeting your mission that you have a new position within your organization, that grant request can only be successful if you know how you're going to keep that position going after grant funding. So just think about what is appropriate for grant funding and what's not. Now, here are three questions that will help guide you in this. There's no sort of cut and dry rule, but funders are very interested in metrics and measurements. And that means if what it is you want to propose is going to result in some measurable benefit to those you serve, to the community, as some measurable improvement in an issue, that's likely to be a good request. If what you want to request is something that you can sustain beyond the period of grant funding, or that you can sustain the impact beyond the period of grant funding, that's likely to be a good request. And I want you to always, as you look at your resource needs, to ask yourself, can this resource be, be gotten in a, in a way other than grants? Are grants really the most appropriate way to get this resource? Uh, there is a saying I want you to remember, just because your organization needs a resource, needs money, does not necessarily mean it needs a grant. So let's say that you need maybe a couple of thousand dollars worth of groceries for your senior meals program. Does it really make sense to go locate a funder, put in a funding proposal, get the money, report on the money. It, it To me, it makes a lot more sense to go to the local grocery stores, to go to the local farms, develop relationships, and then develop a resource of in-kind donations that can be coming for years and years. So just because you need money does not mean necessarily you need a grant. Now that's background that is really important for you is you're going to prospect for funding partners. So now we're going to turn and we're going to talk about the research. We're going to talk about of those 86,000 plus foundations, of those thousands of, of government specific grant programs, how do you sift and sort through that all to know what's going to work for you? So here's some overview about research that's very important. If you are in the category of organization where you go out and look for funding opportunities and then you think up a program that you're going to write to go get that money, that is reactive 
and it's called chasing the dollar and it's really frowned upon because it's not going to take your organization towards its mission. In fact, it'll probably take you all over the place and into the very choppy waters of what is known as mission drift. And so I encourage you not to be a reactive grant seeker. Now, the next way that some people do it is they look at those funding priorities that we've been talking about. They know how much they need. They know what they need it for. They know why. And they take those priorities and they go out and look for funders to fund those priority needs. Now, that's a lot better because you're being driven by the needs of your community. You're being driven by uh, the needs of, of your constituents. It's good. It's not bad, but it's not best. <laughs> Best is to be absolutely proactive. And what I mean by that is there are three steps to prospecting. So I don't want you to think of just doing some funder research. I want you to think of prospecting for funders. It goes like this. You consider your organization's mission, its programs, its culture, what it believes in. And then you go do research to identify every single one, all of the foundations and government grant programs that are really good fits for who you are and what you do. Then you look at all that and you look at the funding priorities you've identified and you hammer out a proposal development calendar that you're going to implement. So that means that you are implementing your grant seeking work in a way that's going to move you towards where you want to go. But it also means another thing, because you know that universe of grant funders out there and because you're unlikely to be asking them all at, in one year for what you need, it gives you the opportunity to start learning who people are, reaching out to people, learning about those government grant funders and, and developing relationships that are going to support your future grant seeking. So what you're doing is you're working to build and nurture a network of potential grant funders. That's, that's the best way. That's prospecting. Now, one more word about prospecting. If you think about it this way, a lot of you are probably familiar with the fact that a lot of organizations have fund development people who pursue, pursue major donors, major gifts. So those fund development people don't wait until there's a specific need to run out and try to find a major donor. They try to develop relationships with major donors over time and then ask in the right way when the time is right. So when you take this approach towards researching good fit funders, you're going to be in a lot better shape. It's going to build your grant acquisition program over time your, that program will get stronger and stronger. So when you do research, what you're looking to do is to narrow the field. Out of all of those funders out there, you want to find the ones that fit. And obviously, we've said that foundations and even government agencies have missions and priorities. So those have got to be a spot on match with your missions and priorities. Funders especially private funders, often fund in very specific geographic areas. You want to make sure there's a match. <clears throat> if, for example, a funder 
does not fund within your specific area, but you, in doing research, find out, whoa, that funder made a grant in my area a couple of years ago. I should apply too. Well, when you see sort of those one-off uh, grant awards that are outside of a specified, I can't talk, geographic area, you're, you're seeing what I call the footsteps, the footprints of a relationship. So if, if a funder is out, if you are outside a funder specified geographic area, do not apply to that funder. Do not keep them in your prospects list unless you have a relationship with that funder. You want to identify funders um, that fund your type of organization. Now, for example, I've done a lot of work in youth services over the years. And I would find in my research a lot of funders who said in their who for for which their overview information said funds youth services. But when I dug deeper, I found that some of these funders only funded the SCAL, so the YWCA or church groups, and none of which my organization was. So you want funders that fund your type of organization, but also your type of program. I mean, even if you find an um, a funder who funds your type of organization, uh, if you look further, you might find, if take youth services, for example, that they only fund youth sports and your organization may not do youth sports. So you got to be real specific about what type of programs they do fund. And then lastly, when you're doing those screening, talk, think about the funding range. You can find funders for whom you can check off every single box, mission fits, geographic location, type of program, type of organization. But then you look at their funding range and they only make grants in the range of $500 to $1,000. Now, if you need that much money, if that's going to work for you for a request that's appropriate for a grant request, go for it. And it's certainly okay to bring together a couple or three funders to support a program, to, to collaborate to support a program. That's not bad. But if you have a $25,000 funding need and you're trying to piece that need, meeting that need by piecing together these tiny little 500 here, 1,000 there, that's uh, laborious and it's counterproductive. So what I am saying is that you're going to find it most useful and to serve your grant acquisition program most effectively if you look for funders who fund within a certain range that you need. So what we're going to do now is we're going to dive into the nitty gritty of actually doing the research. I mean, how do you find out all this information? And we're going to start with foundations and we're not going to look talk about operating foundations because I keep reminding you, they do their own work. They don't need your boots on the ground. So let's, let's dive into that. When people ask me how to find funders, I always suggest that they start by doing their research close to home, that they look in their own backyard. Foundations um, are typically very, or, or tend to be very geographically sensitive. For example, private foundations often fund where they live or where they grew up or where they went to college, the, the principals went to college. Corporate foundations usually fund where the corporation has a headquarters or an office. And community foundations are always geographic specific. 
And also, just when it comes to funders in your community, they're going to care about the quality of life in your community, and they're going to be more likely to know who you are, who your organization is, um, and care about that. And also, your organization is more likely to have contacts or be able to find contacts with these what I call close to home grant makers. And so you're going to be able to build some of those relationships easier than with those who may be farther away. There are large regional and national funders. I mean, certainly if you were to talk about a national and international funder like the Gates Foundation, uh, they make very large grants and you may want to go after some of that money. I just want to caution you that large nationals is what I call them tend to want to make large impact. So if your organization is, is seeking to make impact that's going to reverberate, you know, well beyond your geographic area, add something to the field, you're probably going to end up being more appropriate to work with these large nationals. When you go with the large nationals also, they're going to be getting applications from all over the country, sometimes from all over the world, so there's a lot more competition. If you do not live somewhere close to these large organizations, the large funders, and you don't have the opportunity to get to know people affiliated with them, it's going to be harder to build relationships. I am not saying don't go to large national funders. I'm just saying, please take off any rose colored glasses you may have on and think very practically about what these organizations are trying to achieve and how your organization can offer them an opportunity to help them achieve what their mission is because that's why they make grants. Start close to home. Then we'll talk about our closed door funders, those that do not accept unsolicited proposals. And as I said, the last estimate that was it was maybe 50% of all of the 86,000 plus almost 100,000 foundations don't accept unsolicited proposals. Now, why? Sometimes they already know and trust who they're giving their money to and they just want to keep doing that. Other times they really do not want to be overwhelmed by the whole application review award process. And a lot of times they know what they want to accomplish as a mission and they feel confident that they can go out and find you. They'll find the leaders in the field and then they'll want to work with you and they'll come say, we'll call you, don't call us sort of thing. So when you're doing your research, even if a funder does not accept unsolicited proposals. If they are close to home, you still should consider them. Because if they have interest, if, if your research shows they are interested in your topic area, then you may be able to get an introduction to them, or you may even know somebody affiliated with that foundation. Now, I love this graphic of the woman going, Oh, oh, because of all the classes I've taught around the country, in fact, a lot of people when we're doing the grant a research exercise go, oh my gosh, this man who's affiliated with this foundation it goes to church with my mother. We know him. So this does happen. So don't write them off unless they're not in your immediate area and you, there's no way you can get a connection. When you find funders that are a good fit, keep notes on the people involved. You're going to try to make that connection because your goal here is you are trying to have your grant proposal land in somebody's inbox or on their desk. And that person on whose desk it lands 
knows it's coming. They know who it is who has submitted it. So we're working to not have to submit what we call cold proposals to foundations where there's been no contact. It just sort of arrives out of the blue. We want it to be a warm proposal where they expect it and they know it's coming. So when you're doing your research, a high quality uh, funder research database is actually your tool of the trade and you need one. All decent databases will provide the basic overviews of the foundations that you need, and a lot of them will link to other resources that you need. So uh, just explore them. Now, one well-known database is the Foundation Directory Online. And the reason I'm calling that out is because Candid, which is the uh, is the new name for the Foundation Center, has developed a series of funding information network sites around the country where you can go and use this database for free. There's about 400 sites. You can find it. You can use the database for free. But I want you to know that you really can't do the good research, the deep research, you know, by pecking away at it an hour here or two hours there. And it takes a lot of time. So you do need a database at your fingertips. And I suggest that you subscribe to one. If you can't afford to subscribe to a database for a year, many of them will rent you their access to the database month by month. So you could subscribe for a month or two, do a real deep dive, and then go with that information. But you are going to need to use one. So now let's look at keywords, because no matter what database you use, you got to use keywords. And so one of the tips I have is that if the database tells you what those keywords are that it uses to categorize issue areas, use those keywords. Because if the database, for example, uses substance abuse, but you were to search using drug abuse, you're not going to get any hits. So use the keywords the database defines. If the database does not define keywords, think broadly. I mean, you can think of keywords in terms of population, issue area, etc. And then you're going to mix and match and do some queries and see what you get. And when you use different keywords in your searches, you get a lot of overlap of the funders that show up. But every time you change the keywords, you'll get some new funders. So you think very deeply, use very well considered keywords when you have to make your own up. So as, you, as you're doing this work with your databases, I want you to remember those match criteria we talked about. That's what you're looking for. And you're going to pass on funders that don't meet those criteria. And you're going to pass on closed door funders if they're not in your geographic area or if you cannot find a connection to them. So, all right. You've used your professional database. You've used really well-considered keywords. You started by looking in your backyard. You used some established search criteria. You have spent hours and hours and hours, and you have about 75 funders identified that look really good. So it's time to start developing and submitting proposals, right? No, not quite. <laughs> because your professional research databases provide you with a whole lot of information, but usually not everything you need. Now, sometimes those databases will connect you to the website that will provide everything you need, but usually you've got to dig deeper. If, an, if a foundation's average grant, for example, 
is 100,000. You may say, well, who? I'm going to apply for 100,000. But unless you know the grants that were made to what organizations, in what amounts, for what purposes that that funder had made over the last couple of years, you you could make a really bad mistake. You could apply for 100,000 when in fact the funder had only funded your type of organization and your type of program. The highest they've ever funded is 25,000. So you, just knowing the general range of grant funding is not enough. Uh, likewise, if the funder just says, if, if the overview uh, information for the funder just says uh, youth services, substance abuse treatment, that's really not enough because they may have some very specific thing they fund and not what it is you do. So you have to dig deeper. And so the first place you dig deeper is in the funder's website. Now, if a funder has a website, you've really got to study it. They expect that. And I've talked to lots of funders and they actually get quite aggravated if you uh, don't study their website and then call them with questions or submit something that's not appropriate because you didn't study their website. So study it. Um, what you're looking for is to find out grants made in the last few years to what type of organization, to what type of program, for what purpose. Problem is, a whole lot of foundations do not have websites. So what are you going to do? Well, uh, because foundations are nonprofits and because nonprofit tax returns are public information, what you're going to do is go to the tax return. Now, a lot of the funder databases will link you to the tax returns. The tax returns won't give you the information you need to make that first cut. They're deeper dive research. If you do not yet have a subscription to a funder research database, Candid's 990 Finder can help you. With closed door funders, I have to tell you that most of the funder research databases do not include closed door funders in their list of funders that are going to pop up. Some of the real expensive databases do. But here's some workaround. Uh, what I suggest you do is that you can go to that Candid 990 Finder and then use re search by relevant zip codes because foundations or nonprofits, all the nonprofits that are within a zip code will come up in that 990 Finder and you can sift and sort out and see if there are some foundations in there that you didn't know about that may be those closed door finders. Uh, funders. Another thing you can do is go to the Candid uh, Funding Information Network sites, uh, use that free resource because uh, a foundation directory online does show these funders. Do research just on that. It won't take you all that long. Or you can rent a more expensive database for just a month just to find the closed door funders in your own backyard. Don't forget your contacts. They're very important. If you know people who uh, people, organizations who have received grants from a particular funder, you can call them, you can reach out, you can network. And so then with other types of private funders, I find that the, the funder databases don't always capture all your, you know, they don't capture your Rotary, your Kiwanis, your, your, your future farmers of America, of Montpelier, Vermont. So I suggest that's where your Google searches can come in handy, but also networking. When you're deeply involved in the community, you're going to learn what's out there in terms of those very local sorts of opportunities that are also private funders.
Now we're going to turn uh, to how you're going to organize your information. Information, all this data is no good if you don't organize it. you got to keep track of it. So certainly you can use a professional grants management product such as Grant Hub that Tammy works for or works with rather. You can construct a simple database and or just use a, a um, spreadsheet and some accompanying files. It really depends on what you need, on the level of your work, on how pressed you are, or how your 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 real need to be efficient. I and mean, if you're an executive director trying to do it all, you might need a professional product. It just depends. But once you've done all this research, you're ready then to start developing your calendar, reaching out and building relationships, and trying to put together that network of possible funders. Now we're going to turn to government and how you do government research. With government, objectivity is expected, as I said. So just know here that you're going to find a lot of detail, a lot of rules and regulations. You're also going to find fairly large pots of money. We're going to start with the federal government because it's the biggest funder. So the federal government does fund organizations directly. It also passes a lot of money through down through other entities such as state, county, municipalities that then flows down again to other organizations. So a lot of money you get from your more lower tier government will also be federal money. To be really proactive with um, government grant making and especially federal grant making, keep your finger of the pulse of what is going on in this nation because funding follows issues. I mean, I, I've often been in situations where I've started doing research and forming coalitions and partnerships to work on a problem because I knew that grant funding was going to be coming. And, and um, one illustration of that would be way back in the day when Columbine was the final uh, school shooting that pushed funding into safe schools. And so whenever you see something that's really a pressing issue in the country, you're often going to see funding follow. So that's one of the ways you be proactive. With federal funding, I've always tried to get ahead of the opening of a competition because there's often a short time between the opening of the competition and the deadline. And if you've got three months to pull together mountains of documentation and move mountains, that is, then that's not very long. So you're going to use those funding needs you have, identify good fit federal programs, and then evaluate the competition, the, how competitive you can be, start working with the most recent application guidelines, track your competitions, and apply. You're going to be very proactive. And when it comes to that, Grants.gov is your one-stop grant shop. It used to be clunky. It's not clunky anymore. So this is where you're going to search for opportunities, sign up to have the opportunities sent to you, do some forecasting. Um, now, I am not going to spend time telling you really how to use Grants.gov because it would take a couple of hours we don't have. And uh, it, it's a great site. There's a lot of videos. There's a lot of instructional pieces there. There are Q&As. There's a, a chat community. So if you're serious about federal funding, go to grants.gov and, and see how to search for federal grants. Use that video and learn. Whenever you find a federal opportunity, you're going to want to look to see if it's a good fit. One thing is special to look at is the number of awards. 
if you think you've got just what the feds need, just what this agency needs, and there are going to be 10 awards made, you may say, okay, that's worth all of the effort and time because I think we can really compete. But what if there's only going to be one award or two awards? So you really have to sort and sift and say, where is it most important to put my limited resources in terms of proposal development? And certainly with the federal government, they will tell you what is called the uh, review criteria. And review criteria are the criteria by which your proposal will be rated and ranked. So you need to dive deep into that. And, and take off your rose-colored glasses, because if you cannot nail every one of those criteria, you probably won't get a grant award because the competition at the federal level is absolutely red hot. The feds are going to have requirements. you got to make sure you can meet them all. Uh, the first one here, cost share match. I mean, the the endowment for the arts has often or usually required a dollar per dollar cost share, meaning we'll give you a dollar, but you got to come up with a non-federal dollar for every one we give you. Can you do that? Number to be served if you live, <clears throat> excuse me, in a very small area and, and the funder says you have to fund a thousand, you have to serve a thousand people. Can you do that? Certainly, I want you to consider deadlines because the competition is so stiff with government funding, federal funding in particular. If you cannot have enough time to do a really good job, you might want to pass. You might want to make a not now decision. Not a not never, but not now. So if you find a promising opportunity that's open, study the guidelines, assess the requirements. If you can, look at who got the awards in the last few rounds. If you can, look at abstracts of what those awards were. Or if you can, get a hold of the full application, which is a lot harder. But you're going to want to assess whether or not to keep this grant program as a possibility within your network of possible funding for your organization. You're going to want to make go, not now, no-go type decisions to see if it's going to make it into your pile that you're going to start sorting into your grant development calendar. If the opportunity is not open, you're going to review the most recent application guidelines. You will usually access those through the synopsis page on grants.gov. You're going to look at previous awards. You may have to try to talk to program officers. Is this likely to come up again? Make some decisions. If it all looks like a go, you need to start working. You can start working as much as a year ahead of time on a really good match program for you from the past application guidelines, and people do this all the time, then when the new application guidelines come out, you study them real carefully. There'll be some changes probably, but the whole program doesn't do a whole flip. It'll be much similar as well. When it comes to other government, these lower tier government, state, county, municipal, those, those are tough. Because honestly, very few states have really good systems like grants.gov that show you what's available, that lets you search. Most of the time, it's, it's hodgepodge. If you live in a state that has a really good system, then good for you. You're very fortunate. But I can tell you that most states do not. So you really have to become sort of a, a detective. So the Grantsmanship Center, and I've got tgci.com slash funding sources. We have uh, some state grant resource pages that give you some good links to explore. You're going to have to use your Google search. 
You're going to have to go to the websites of all of these lower tier funders. You may call people and say, in this, say you're interested in elders, you may call people at the Department of Aging and saying, can you tell me how to find out what grants are available through the state? And do realize that many of the grants that you will end up from these lower tier funders are going to be passed through from the feds. You've done a lot of research. At least you've listened to me talk about a lot of research. <laughs> But now's the time you really hammer it out. You've got it all together and you hammer it out into a proposal development calendar. And there's a lot of good reasons to do that. It helps you be pursue those most pressing needs. It helps you go for your best shot funders for those most pressing needs, distribute your work and so forth. So really successful grant acquisition programs use a grants development, proposal development calendar. When you're putting it together, somehow you've got to assess which of all these funders you've identified are the very best to make it onto this calendar. So some organizations actually put together a scoring system, a, a scoring matrix, and they score. And if you're not higher than a six out of 10, you don't make it to the calendar. I'm not going to tell you how to do it, but you do have to give it some really deep thought. And, and I suggest that when you're putting together the calendar, look at those uh, funders that are aligned most immediately with your immediate priorities and that seem like really the best shot. And you got to look at how hard it's going to be to actually develop that, uh, those proposals as well. Put everything onto a calendar. Once you put it on the calendar, see if there are overlapping deadlines. If you have foundations, which you surely will, that don't have deadlines, put those foundations into the weeks that maybe you don't have other deadlines. Lay it all out. Look at it. Ask yourself very Honestly, is this realistic? Can we do it? Because you're probably going to have to subtract some opportunities because you won't have the capacity to do all of them. And um, or if you can't do that, you may or you don't want to do that. You may have to bring in more capacity, but put together a calendar and then assign a team. Uh, this is where we get down to plan the work and work the plan. So you got to assign people, assign tasks, assign deadlines, etc. Finally, continue to monitor your opportunities. This is not a static thing you've done. This is a living, breathing thing. Foundations change, government funding programs change. You got to keep things up to date. You got to monitor pop-up opportunities. There've been a lot of pop-up opportunities because of COVID. If, if something pops up, you either got to drop something or get more resources, more capacity, you got to keep your research up to date. So to wrap it up, um, set your funding priorities, do your research, organize your research, get a plan, work the plan, and keep your research up to date. Um, I'm ready for questions. <laughs> it was quite the tour de force. And I want you to know that I'm willing to stay a little longer and do questions too. I know it ran a little long. I want to make sure you get your good value with your Q&A. Thank you so much, Barbara. You should uh, see the chat. It is popping. Everyone is excited. There's a lot of questions. We have about 22 questions okay. so far. Um, so just to start us off, um, Rebecca wants to know, what's the best way to get to know foundations and to build trust, in your opinion? You know, it was a lot easier before COVID, and we can only just hope that we have a vaccine soon so we can get together again. 
Because when I say start with funders close to home, when you know who those funders are, you can figure out what they do, where they go. Do they go to church? Do they go to the gala of the arts center? Do they do this and that? And you get to meet them. Um, you go up and introduce yourself and say, hey, this is who I am. This is what I represent. Another thing you can do is get introductions. I encourage people to get introductions, and I have certainly facilitated that for some of the groups I've worked with. Who knows who? What is it? Six degrees of separation of Kevin Bacon or something like that? There's often less than six degrees of separation. So try to get an introduction. Um, don't bombard them. Try to try to emerge into their awareness and, and treat them respectfully and then start communicating as it's appropriate, inviting them to some of your organization's functions when we can have functions again. Um, that would be my advice. Do we have another one, Angela? There was a, there was a number of questions about the 990s. So I'll summarize okay. it, which is that some folks were saying that they, they were noticing that they didn't, that not all of the databases were up to date and not all the 990s were on there right. or up to date. And they wanted to know if you had any um, workarounds or additional ways that we could, they could find this information or any advice on that. Yes, thank you. Thank you. That was one thing I didn't have time to say. So I'm so glad you raised that question, all of you who did. Um, you're going to often find that the 990s are not up to date. Sometimes the foundations may be a year or two late in posting their 990s. Now, I'm not an IRS specialist, so I can't speak to that, but I do know that sometimes people turn in their tax returns late. What I suggest you do is study the most recent ones you can, at least the last couple of years, the most recent ones you can. And then I'm afraid you're going to have to jump to Google search, internet search. What I would search for is news releases on grant awards from this particular foundation to try to find out if you can ascertain from news releases what awards are being made for what purposes and what amounts to what organizations. And so I would do that. I would also, if I thought it was a really good prospect funder, and if I felt that uh, I could contact and there were staff or people I could contact, I may reach out and say, from my last um, studying of your foundation, it seems that this would be an appropriate request, but I just want to check in before I waste your time and, um, to ask if this is still your focus in, in, a, in a request in this a category might be considered. Um, but I think I would have to jump to uh, Google research on just um, what grants have been made by that foundation. Because if it's not posted, if the 990 is not out yet, you just can't get to it. And certainly the foundation is not just going to, if it's if that list of grants is not on the foundation website, they're just not going to whip it up for you and give it to you. So you may end up having to go with a little old information, which is not ideal, but it may just be the best you can do. Great. Thank you. Odette wanted to know, what is the best time to submit a grant proposal if a foundation does not have a clear deadline or the deadline is rolling? Boy, Odette, that's such a good question. I, yeah, that's like a roll the dice, right? I would probably, from the 990, figure out what the fiscal year of the foundation is. And I would prefer to submit within the first quarter of their fiscal year. 
Now, some foundations parse out their funding when they're in that situation. So they owe a lot X amount per quarter. But I do know that a lot don't. And because of that, I, I would prefer to go in the first quarter of their fiscal year. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, Liz says, what if your organization is national in scope? Won't most of the local foundations want to support initiatives that are in their local community? And I think part of that is how is she a good fit for uh, those funders? Well, that that's also it's sort of a conundrum, isn't it? We all end up with our own conundrums. Some foundations will not support affiliates of national organizations. Some will. Some organizations that are national in scope also do some very specific work in the local area. So it depends on that. If your organization does specific work really of benefit in the local area that is in keeping with the interest of the foundation, I would say that you still can approach them and certainly relationship building would be hugely helpful. Um, if your organization's work is is not in your local area uh, and if the foundation has indicated that while it is interested in the topic area it limits its giving to a geographic area that is your local area then you can apply so it depends on a, a whole lot of variables but i have worked with organizations that were national in scope and that did work in a local area and were able to get funding from local foundations for that uh, local specific work. I hope that's helpful. Wonderful, thank you. This is from Mary and she said, would a letter of introduction to a closed door grant funder be helpful to getting an invitation to submit a grant? You know, closed door funders are so, they're as individual as individuals are. Once I was teaching a class and this one I had not learned to say never, <laughs> now I've learned that. Um, I said, don't submit proposals to closed door funders. They're not going to fund you. And one little hand goes up in the back of the room that says, I submitted a letter and I got a grant award. Um, so my answer to that is lightning does strike, but you always have to decide what is the best way to spend your time because you're less likely to be successful in the scenario where you are submitting something to someone who's clearly indicated that they don't want it. That said, the, the door to closed door foundations is introductions or relationships. So if you can get an introduction, if you know someone who knows someone, that's the way to go at it other than with a letter. And if that closed door foundation is, is not in your immediate geographic area and you cannot get an introduction, if that's just not going to work, then Letter's not going to hurt anything if, if you if you you already got the letter and you just want to send it off and you think it's great. Just don't have a whole lot of expectations. Maybe lightning will strike, but um, an introduction or finding a key into the relationship is is going to be the most successful way if you can pull that off. And there's a question I think picked, uh, dovetails on that really nicely, which is about developing a relationship with a foundation who specifically asked not to be connected. I feel like those two things go together. That one's from They Kyle. do. Like, I'm a foundation. I will accept proposals, but don't talk to me, right? <laughs> don't call me. I, just send me your proposal. Um, you know, 
if this, a lot of this is going to have to be if they are close to you. If they are close to you, try to get an introduction so that your discussion with them is not an imposition into something they've asked you not to do. Um, if that does not work and you can't do it, you're going to be in a position where you really just got to submit the very best proposal that you can. And then if you are fortunate to get funded to use that as the springboard for seriously developing a relationship. I mean, we all know that relationships are the way with foundations, but we all know that the, the, there are varying degrees of difficulty in, in pulling that off. Um, so if somebody says, please don't talk to me, you just don't run after them, tug at their coattails and say, well, I want to anyway. You're going to have to figure out how to have a little more finesse in that, generally through trying to get connections. And if you can't, go in cold. The last resort is to submit that cold proposal or what I call that blind proposal. But uh, it, sometimes you will have no choice. Wonderful, thank you. Um, this one's from Rachel. This kind of goes back to the beginning of, the, of your presentation where you're talking about um, setting priorities. And she wanted to know, can general operating be a priority? Or are you saying we need to prioritize our programs more specifically? Now, you know, general operating can be a priority. It certainly can be. Um, now, what I think is that most of you know, I mean, it sounds like we have a pretty um, foundation savvy audience out there. Most of you know that there is a trend now, a push from both nonprofits and from some uh, philanthropists, from some foundations to, to, to fund more general operating. There's some understanding, especially with COVID, about the importance of maintaining the infrastructure that's going to allow nonprofits to do their work that they do in the community. And so it's also true that when a foundation knows your work and trusts your work, you're more likely to get an operating grant uh, rather than a program specific. I mean, they're more likely to also give you an operating grant. Uh, if a foundation does not know you very well, uh, does not trust you, making a program specific grant where you're going to agree to produce some change is something that is a little bit easier of a lift for them. It's a little bit easier for them to do. It seems to have less inherent risk. Um, I think that most organizations would say, if we really have needs, what we're gonna prioritize is general operating. Because if you don't have the roads, you can't drive on them. You gotta have infrastructure. You can't walk if you don't have bones. And so um, there you have it. So if that is absolutely the priority, make it one of your top priorities, and then you're going to have to do research for funders who do general operating, do make general operating grants. You're going to have to take special attention in your research to funders that are in your geographic area and know what you're doing. And I would say that when you're going for government funders and, and even for those foundation funders, I want to encourage you to go for full cost funding, meaning that you recover indirect costs, because the degree to which you do not recover indirect costs on your project or program specific grant awards deteriorates or eats away, consumes your internal ability, your bones. So um, 
I'm going to throw working to recover full cost into that's maybe the prioritization of your funding needs. Right. Um, the next switch is reels a little bit about, and I know we cover this, we didn't cover this so much, and we do a whole section of this in our training, which is around um, sustainability. And oh, yeah. if you have any advice on how to answer the sustainability question, another person said it's a catch-22, especially for new orgs. Maybe you have a little tidbit of uh, advice that you can give in terms of this topic on sustainability. Boy, I, I really love this topic. I have wrestled this topic to the ground. It was like wrestling with an alligator, I can tell you, because because it's a tough one, but really I, I do a hot webinar on it. So if you have a chance to take the webinar, it's an hour of talking about sustainability. Um, sustaining impact is what we are talking about, not sustaining programs, not sustaining activities. That's not what anybody really cares about because activities are a means to an end. The end is change. The end is impact. So first of all, when you think of sustainability, think of sustaining impact. Then understand that uh, what you're going to need to sustain depends on the type of program that you're offering. Like if you're doing a systems change program and you've changed a law, there's not going to be a lot to sustain, maybe some monitoring and so forth. The same with maybe some sort of uh, equipment upgrade in your capacity building sort of area. When you've got a program, and you're running it, and you don't know what's going to work and what's not, you have to integrate figuring out what you need to sustain to sustain impact into implementing the program. So there, there are some situations in which you can't even write a grant proposal unless you already have sustainability figured out. An example would be I started a program for young men returning to the community from jail. It took about five years to start it, a lot of not in my backyard, where are we going to put it, renovate the building. There was no way I could submit funding proposals for that till I already had sustainability figured out. So it, what you have to do depends on the program situation that you're working with. But I will just give you this one notion, which is always aim to sustain impact rather than activities the activities don't really matter if they don't produce the impact. Such great advice, Barbara. And Angela, I had to leave, but I will continue with the questions. Do you feel it is useful and important to follow up when a proposal is declined? To find out if they could tell you anything specific about how the trustees made their decision? And is that part of relationship building? Yes. Thank you so much for that question. So let's talk. The easy one first is government. Government, absolutely, positively, because the award, the decision making process is supposed to be public and transparent. And so with federal awards, certainly you want to request the reviewer comments because you can learn, you can make corrections, you can submit again next time. So always with the state, uh, always with the government funders. With private funders, yeah, I do think it is useful to ask. And you have to know that a lot of times you will not get an answer. Um, a lot of times what they will tell you is we simply couldn't fund all the good proposals we received or we simply didn't have enough money to go around. What you do not want to hear is your topic didn't match our priorities or, you know, it didn't match our what we fund. And so if you hear that, you haven't done your research. Um, yes, I do think it's helpful to, to ask. If you don't get an answer, that's not going to hurt anything. You just you don't know. But at least you can present that you're a reasonable person trying to do a good job. I actually know 
that sometimes funders get calls that are our rate calls. Why didn't you fund me? This is the best. I mean, really, I know that all of you are much more uh, grounded than to go there because that's the exact opposite of building a relationship. Or it's building one. It's just one you don't want. <laughs> so what you need to do is, yeah, go ahead and ask and ask in a very sincere way. And and um, would they be willing to reconsider the, the proposal at another time and so forth? Yeah. And then and, and just because you get turned down, don't don't take them off of your list. If you want to develop them into part of that funder network that you're going to go to when the time is right, when the ask is right, keep them on the list. Any possibility, go to their function, go hear them talk. If they're talking somewhere, if they're on a funder panel, go and shake their hand. Hey, this is who I am when you can shake hands again. Um, so. Yes, it, it's useful. Just to please do not always expect to get an answer because you won't. Great advice. Um, all right. Here's another question teed up for you by Angela. Is it ever appropriate to send more than a thank you note for a foundation grant uh, in which you've received a lot of support? from liaison. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Okay. You know, I would like to say yes, but I gotta say no. I I just don't think it is. I think it um it moves it, until you get even when you get a really personal relationship with some of the foundation people, it's crossing a line. It, to me it's crossing a line. Now you can send a handwritten note along with the letter, there's things you can do to make it personal. But in, even if it's flowers, even if it's a, a bowl of fruit, my, my advice is that not to go there. Great. Uh, there are a couple questions of loving that sustainability question. And I do uh, encourage everyone to go to your website and, and see what other trainings you have around this topic because yeah. you do have so much and can only cover so much <laughs> That's in, right. in this, this uh, discussion. Um, so have you started to see any shifts or trends with funders providing longer term or larger grants rather than a single small? You grant? know, I thank you for that. I, there's a lot of talk. There's a lot of talk about it. And, and, you know, I wrote a, an article for the Nonprofit Times, and I think maybe I found it, published it too, I'm not sure, um, as a blog piece called Full Cost Funding at a Glacial Pace. I, yeah. mean, <laughs> I mean, when you look at these questions about longer term funding, instead of a, a year here, a year there, how helpful is that? You know, really, how helpful is that? Um, so... There's a lot of talk about it. I think there's a lot of recognition that it needs to happen. But just like full cost funding is just taking forever, um, I'm not seeing a huge amount of movement. You know, I do think that what's sort of kicked it off a little bit is COVID because people are the funders, the philanthropists are concerned that a lot of our community agencies that are central to the quality of life may go away, may be so hit that they can't keep going. So that may be something that accelerates this, both full cost funding and uh, multi-year funding and general operating funding. So yeah, I'll say I've seen movement, 
but I've seen a lot of lip slapping. <laughs> I don't, I don't yeah. know that I've seen how much has actually been happening, but it may happen. You know, things do change. Yes, yes. And I know on our, our uh, discussions with our funder clients, there is a lot of talk and, and want to, and there have been some progress with funding with people making the process easier, but will they take all those steps? Yeah. yeah. yeah I think see. they will, but it's like full yeah. cost funding. Win. <laughs> Win, yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Here's another question. If you do get first-time one-year funding from a foundation that tells you we may we believe in may, uh, building relationships, mm -hmm. uh, what should you expect and how that relationship will be built in the coming years, and how do you facilitate that? Well, one thing is, of course, you're going to want to know, are you eligible? Some foundations say, if I give a grant this year, you can't apply to two years from now. I mean, so one question is, can you keep, applying year after year, or is there some wait period? So just know that because certainly if you can't apply year after year, you're going to want to do that. But even if you can't, anytime you get a grant, that is just this wide open door to relationship building where you're going to be inviting them to anything you do or asking them, could you send them some information or maybe sending them an infographic on how impactful um, what you're doing with their money really is. And so you, you take what, even that one year, even if they say, well, fund you for one year, but that's all. Don't take them at their word. <laughs> you know, work to, don't send them a bowl of fruit. Okay. <laughs> but, but don't take them at their word. Work to, I like the word nurture or like, you know, with, 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 um, with major donors, they talk about stewardship, you know, stewardship of the, of the person where you treat them with respect. You make sure they feel included. You make sure they hear from you. You communicate them as often and as appropriately as you can and ask them for funding when the time, the amount and the purpose is correct. Never, ever, um, try to go outside of those three things when the amount, the time, and the purpose is correct. Uh, I call that, this is my term, a righteous ask. So you're, you're going for real change. Uh, you're not just going for the money. I, I hope that was helpful. I may have digressed on the bowl. Of no, <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, I appreciate that. And that's all the time we have for questions right now. I want to thank you, Barbara, so much and give you an opportunity um, to, to provide any parting advice for everyone. My parting words are that there was so much to present. I wish I could have even presented more on this research, but I, I really hope that it has put you in good stead. Sounds like a lot of you out there really know what you're doing. Keep up the good work, fight the good fight, make the righteous ass, and don't send fruit. <laughs> <laughs> That's excellent. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much, Thank Barbara. Thank you so much. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> Goodbye from Vermont. <laughs> Goodbye from Boise, Idaho. All right. <laughs> Take care. So that was our conversation. A big thank you to Barbara for sharing her expertise. To learn more about the Grantsmanship Center training and publications, please visit tgci.com. And visit tgci.com slash training slash webinar to see upcoming webinars. Again, all of these links can be found in the episode notes. If you haven't already, 
please subscribe to the podcast. And we want to hear from you. Sign up for a live webinar to chat or submit questions to our experts. Your question might even be featured in a future episode. So from everyone at Founded Technologies, thanks for listening. We hope you found it helpful, and we can't wait to connect with you again on our next Coffee Talk.